mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. Welcome to the One Mic, One Voice show, building the collective conscious. Show that's created to give space where your voice, ideas, and informed opinions can be heard, appreciated, and debated. I am Michael Eric Owens, back in the One Mic Studio, folks. And let me tell you something. Man, we got an exciting show today. I have been trying to get this brother on for, as we would say in the vernacular, for a minute. (laughs) He's a busy cat, doing great things. And uh, we are fortunate to have him with us here today. And um, he is... uh, Brother Gregory Bennett, Jr. He's a highly decorated soldier who has spent nearly 10 years in the military serving our country. He's a military man like me. He is a fighter not only for causes negatively impacting the welfare of veterans, but the welfare of his community as well. He's a son of Kenosha, Wisconsin. He returned to Kenosha when his mother fell ill to, to take care of her. Upon his return, He saw this great need to help the community on a much deeper level, especially dealing with youth. His passionate goal was and and remains letting children, teen and adults know it's safe to play and enjoy life in Kenosha's central city parks as he once did without having to fear violence. Out of this passion, folks, get this. He is the founder and he developed peace in the streets a great organization. He nurtured this to fruition and he founded it on May 3rd, 2014. His first event that he had was attended by over 200 children and their families and get this peacefully with no violence. As a community leader, he goes beyond the call of duty to assist children, whether they're being bullied, needing direction, etc., helping them find better schools as well as supporting families in hardship and legal matters. I want to say to my brother Gregory, welcome. Welcome to the One Mic, One Voice show. Thank you. Thank you. It's truly a pleasure to have you here um, on this broadcast. And uh, Doreen has piped in and said, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Doreen and, and Linda. Arthur, chat is up and working today. <laughs> These folks definitely are excited to hear uh, from you now you grew up in Kenosha Wisconsin I, I I would use as a caveat I spent I I believe I got to Kenosha I'm originally from Milwaukee came back to teach at Great Lakes got in Kenosha at in 95 and I didn't leave Kenosha until 2008 is when I left so talk to us about Growing up in Kenosha, and and this is in the context of of Kenosha becoming a nationally known place because of the violence and the um, the riots riots that took place there. Talk to us about growing up in Kenosha. I mean, growing up in Kenosha was the violence wasn't nothing new. It's just back when we was growing up, there was you know there was laws. Everybody had an unwritten rule, you know, no schools, no churches, no children. 
and you know, school systems, everything else, they would treat African American males different than they did the females. It seemed like they wanted to they wanted to blame. They always went on the mental health side. They wanted to push Ritalin into the school systems. You know, they wouldn't if you wasn't playing sports and you wasn't a part of the the clique as far as basketball or football. Then they kind of they kind of shunned you and pushed you away or just didn't pay you attention. But they, then they came out with that law: no children left behind, and they left, that left a lot of children behind because then they wasn't getting the proper education, and then they were doing anything they could to help their families because. As you know, Kenosha has a high poverty rate when it comes to the African-American community. But I would say from the age, from, from kindergarten all the way to eighth grade, you're pretty safe. But when you get to eighth, don't be out past curfew. You know, you can get took to the docks. You know, you can, you can end up hurt. You know, it's more or less like if it wasn't the police, then it was gangs. Uh, other than that, we had a great, like, strong church base. You know, they have they have a lot of churches here. So that was always a good way for youth to get out of the way. Um, I remember when Mr. Cooksey and Mrs. Cooksey would, you know, and Chanel Gross would take people in and, you know, take you to church, teach you how to sing, get you on different choirs, get you listening to people you never would have thought you would have had a chance to meet, like, you know, Kirk Franklin or Fred Hammond, um, like, Chris Wiley, Jenna Cooksey, you know, a lot of these people went on to have good musical careers, include myself. And and I would love to say a lot of other people, but it's just some people changed and chose to go a different route. But Kenosha's, it, it's social media really just showed the world what's been happening here since the 70s. So it's more or less like now you got to see it right live on camera when it's been that way the whole time. Like when you got here in 95, that was probably some of the toughest times, 95, 96, 97, when it was a lot of wars going on. But like I said, a lot of sports is what save a lot of people besides faith and churches. Other than that, if you don't really have no, resources then there's nobody that's gonna save you you're just gonna have to find your way and if you ain't having the educational portion of it when it comes to how the system is automatically systemically based and made how it's set up for you to fail here then they ain't gonna care and they push you to a side but I, I enjoyed my childhood because I was a fighter I was a fighter and I had old heads, you know, um, Willie was a USA boxer. He caught me. I got shot. I was 14 and, um, I was jumping the fence and somebody shot at me and I got grazed. And then my mom just put me in ballet, boxing, swimming, everything. Right. So she made sure my time was taken up, but Willie had took me, um, to Illinois and put me on the boxing team. And then I ended up getting my golden gloves and then I didn't play basketball to my senior year. And that's when I got a scholarship to go to NYU and play basketball. But uh, I had that Kenosha mentality where it was just like, who are you? You know, I'm a star, I'm a star already. And I ended up coming home and signing up for the military and didn't realize what I had in New York University at the time. 
but then I ended up getting my degree while I was in the military. So that was a blessing. But Kenosha is just, it's sad, man. It's been that way for a while, but it's so much. I'll put it like this. The sun, the sun, the sun still shines when it rains because have not to know how to make something out of nothing. Like we used to get in the bottom of the barrel. So it's like, we know how to make a party out of something. We know how to stay family oriented. You know, if you run into the Tofries, Bennett's, Lots, Gardeners, if you run into the Morrises, if you run into any of these families, you know, them families that take you, you know, them families is going to show you love. And as long as you're showing love, you will get love back, especially when it comes from the have not community. Now, the Kenosha community, uh, talk a little bit about the black community there. Is it a large black community? When I was there, it was a small black community. Is it a large black community? And talk about the um, the lack of uh, black people in leadership in the higher governing apparatus of Kenosha. Kenosha is a large African community. It's just that a lot of them are incarcerated. So they get funneled in and out. The fathers do. And the mothers stay working. So you don't see them because they're either CNAs or they're in a factory or, you know, they're, some of them are in administrative roles. But a lot of them are just at home being moms. And a lot of them have to do odd end jobs just to get through. But it's a large African community. And then as you saw with the with the incident, everybody just came out once it happened. Then they started using their voice. But we don't have as a teacher, you you should know like it's hard for a person from Kenosha to become a Kenosha school teacher. They don't have a lot of people who look like us in powerful roles. There, there was one alderman, Anthony Kennedy, and then there's one female alderman, Shana Griffin, who is, you know, alder woman, and them are the only two people in office. The rest, you either in a factory or you a CNA, and there's a handful of African-American teachers. They don't give them the same opportunity as everybody else here. And what about the um, the pastors? Are the pastors playing a key role in civil rights and social justice in Kenosha? No, uh, there's two. There's three, maybe three. You we when we had a 24 hour, we had a 24 hour uh, marathon where we stood outside for 24 hours in solidarity, and then that was the first time I seen a lot of pastors but they're not pastors that look like us it was like you had pastor kirby we had uh the female pastor from coleman chapel she slipped my mind right now and then you had a buddhist pastor which is a caucasian male you had pastor barker has been one of our loudest advocates and he's a caucasian pastor um at the lutheran church but it's 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 only a handful of pastors that's really doing the work but when it comes to the civil rights and coming to this movement the pastors are really silent when it comes to that, except for them handful of pastors I just named. Otherwise, you see, oh, Pastor Mitchell is doing good work, too. But a lot of them are silent because they have to keep their they have to keep their assets, you know, what I'm saying in their relationships. And it seems like they're they're really leery 
You know what I'm saying? They're literally uncomfortable with trying to even jump in. They don't know who to believe, who not to believe. And Jesse Jackson came down and then everybody came out. And when Jesse left, everybody disappeared. And it was just like, okay, <laughs> y'all praying when the camera come. But when the camera leave, you back in your congregation doing Zoom, you know what I'm saying, pastoring and stuff. And it's what happened to the people in the street? What happened to the communities? You, I don't, I don't see a lot of them. And about the, uh, and I think you you speak to the problem that's happening across our nation, where the pulpit is no longer used uh, in a way that uh, talks about these issues, empower people. Black liberation theology somehow has been lost, and as you put it, the desire to um, to maintain your assets. Talk a little bit about the relationship between the black community and the black. Uh, in the uh, police officers. Are there many black police officers? No, you got three. You got three police officers. Uh, and then when other, uh, when other African-Americans that's from here try to get on the force, then they get, you know, they get put through so much red tape and stuff and they get pushed out the way quick. And that's just what it is. I remember when I first ran for alderman, they thought I didn't have common sense. So what they did was they offered me a job as a police as a police officer. And I said, I can't be on city council and be an alderman and still work for the city. You know that. So why would you offer me the job just to get me not to run for office? So they want to puppet master you and be able to control the narrative. And that's something I'm not willing to you know, compromise. You know, when I was in Kenosha, I was Kenosha uh, was a place where I was um, racially profiled in a way that it was the most worst demeaning position that I've ever been put in by police officers. And I've been put in some pretty bad ones, but this was terrible. Talk about your personal experience with um, the Kenosha uh, PD. Well, like I said, in the 90s, like, I lived on 42nd. So it was at one point in time, you know, I'm leaving my friend house from the end of the block, and I lived six houses up the block. And the police came, and they was like, you know, it's curfew. I said, yeah, I live right down here. He said, get in the car. So I get in the car, you know, what's your name? First and last name. Gave my first and last name. They took me to the docks, you know, beat me, and then made me walk back. So the docks is downtown. So now I got to walk from first all the way to 42nd. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's 42, you know what I'm saying, blocks. And I'm looking like, okay, whatever. I get home and then I leave, come back from the military. I was out collecting, um, collecting fundraising money for my campaign at the time. And mind you, I got Washington State plates. I still had a Washington driver's license. I ain't really, you know, switched it over yet. My nephew was driving me and they pull him, they pull us over. They said, uh, we need to take you downtown. I said, for what? He said, we don't have your picture on file. Why would you have my picture on file? I've never committed a crime. What's the issue? Well, you need to come downtown. They cuffed me in front and I filmed my whole way there. You get what I'm saying? On live while I'm while I'm uh getting took downtown just so they could take a mug shot of me because I wasn't in their database. That the the whole Kenosha Police Department, when it comes to certain things, after 
I started Peace in the Streets, I started talking to them like my soldiers. So I don't let them control the narrative. They're not in charge at any point in time. You work for me. You work for the people. You know what I mean? And you are supposed to protect and serve. So I hold them to that standard. So when they talk to me, they talk to me with respect because I demand it now. You know what I mean? But growing up, they have that they have that influence and they try to intimidate the community and they hold probation over their head where they'll get where there's a revocation process even for having contact. So they constantly harass the people that they know that they've been putting in the system since they were at risk youth. That's what they do here with the youth. They put them in at risk youth and then they put them in a database. So they're already a part of the system. And that's just the setup for the alley oop, you know. Are there any um black uh, attorneys in Kenosha? Yes, there's two. Um one of the other sister, I forgot her name, but I know Angela Cunningham. She's an um, African-American female attorney here who actually ran for congresswoman. Right now she's running for a judge because like she had to bow out the congresswoman's um, election because. Of course, nobody votes, you know, nobody moved. And she's running for, you know, judge right now, circuit court judge. And um, I'm bagging her on that. She's a great, she's a great asset. Like she really does get out there, work. She she has great integrity. But if like during this time when all this stuff was happening, she usually deals with child stuff. But then she started picking up civil matters because it was like, hold on, nobody's taking their cases. Nobody's trying to help them out. But people didn't have the funds to pay. So some she wouldn't worry. She would just, I'll help you out here. Let me help you with the legal advice. Let me she she impressed me very much. Now, what is the population of Kenosha? I don't know, 151. I couldn't tell you. So 151, and I, and you and you're you're in that vicinity, and you have two black lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're lucky you got that. We got three police officers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you got a handful of teachers. You, you, they letting you know. They let you know off top how they feel. So how how is how is it how <laughs> with so few of us in any type of leadership position, and even even to help those who are caught up in in the legal environment. How are we supposed to bring change in that type of environment? You got to bring economic power. We got to start purchasing the land. We have to start spending our money where only they would hire us is in, in leadership roles. We have to take back our votes. We have to put our own in power as far as civil, you know, as far as city council, as far as mayoral, as far as anything when it deals with the city of Kenosha, we have to start purchasing the land, getting these buildings, making sure we build our own schools, making sure we do all that. We have to start from the ground, from grassroots all the way to the top. We have to start putting ourselves, our economic and education has to be our number one focus. Folks on the show today with me is Gregory Bennett Jr. He is um, the community, uh, one of the, prominent community leaders in Kenosha, Wisconsin. His organization is called Peace 
in the streets. And folks, let me tell you something. Um, when we come back from this break, what I want Brother Gregory to do is to get into the the night of the event, the day that Brother Blake uh, was shot, what was going on in Kenosha. And what I wanted him to do was to, and he did a fabulous job of building this sort of environment, this history, this culture in which this event um, took place. And so, folks, we're going to go to a break, man. Uh, and I believe the, the brother's going to get a little deeper for us. He already deep, but he's going to get a little deeper for us. Folks, we're going to go to this break, and we'll be right back. This is Michael Eric Owens, host of the One Mike One Voice Show. I want to give a shout out to all of our listeners all across the globe. Thank you for your undivided attention and for your conversation. You can catch us every Sunday on YouTube, 1230 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you can also catch us on Podbeam, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, on any one of those lovely, wonderful podcasting platforms you love to listen to. Please always remember, you can change the world. It's your choice. What is a black life to you? Do we matter? Do we deserve a right at the table, the seat at the table, or the head of the table? Who determines the black people's fate? Should that not be in our hands? Should not we be the ones making the decisions that affect our lives? Yeah, I think we should be. We should be. Again, we are honored to have with us today, Brother Gregory Burnett, Jr., and brother Greg, I want you to talk about um, that particular night because we all saw what trans transpired from a distance, man. The the violence, the the death, um, and the videotape of the brother being shot. Talk what was going on in Kenosha then? What was the reaction? What was your reaction? I got a phone call actually. My little cousin called me and they had, you know, that's who came up to end up being the organization black. My cousin rail had called me and he was like, uh, well, this is what I want to do. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. What happened? He was like, they shot him right. And come to find out my, my daughter's mother stays across the street from where 
Jacob was shot. So my daughter and them is, you know, over there. And then he got shot across the street. And then my cousin Real called me. He said, man, well, this, this is what we trying to do. I said, no, nah, we need to sit back and plan. You got to strategically do this. You can't do it like that. Like, make sure the community's straight, get everybody home safe. And then we had a further conversation because I know the setups. You get what I'm saying? And I know what they don't want. Because the National Guard come quick, like, you know, as far as that. So I know when Marshall comes into effect, what rules we got to soldier. So it's like, all right, hey, let's think. He said, well, we got the block. We got the block. We got the block. And then my cousin Portia was a part of black, too. So they secured the the, the shot at. But it felt like all the rage and pain from before Jacob got shot, because Michael Bell was shot and killed here from the police officers. You had all these other people that's been beaten, thrown in jail, and, and I'm talking about giving them 80 years at the age of 15, you know, over stuff that they ain't even do. And they're just now being released found because the judges was wrong and they found out they was crooked. So it's like all that pain came on at once. So, of course, everybody wanted to march. And I didn't get a call. I didn't get out there until I got the call from Bishop because Reverend Jackson had called. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, all right, what's up? They was like, well, we want you to say something. Because I'm calming the I'm calming the streets down because the streets wanted one reaction. They wanted, you know, they wanted justice, justice. But it was like, nah, we gotta do it right. Otherwise, this is just gonna be bad for everybody. So that's what we did. We started organizing, getting everybody legally, getting their EIN numbers, getting their, you know, 501c4s, 501c3s, everything that they wanted. I made sure they got their paperwork right. But then when Bishop and Reverend Jackson came down, we went out there, we listened. And then the NAAC, because I called, I called, let me backtrack. I called the captain when the first night of the riots went, because I kept seeing threats on Facebook. I said, hey, it's people from out of town talking about coming down here, burning stuff up. What are you going to do? Now, this captain, he's like, you know, he's a cat that called me on some happy Father's Day, because I've been on the board with him since like 2014. Like, we've got a relationship where... It's a relationship, but you still can see the difference, you know what I'm saying, between his relationships with his counterparts and people in his nationality compared to the the, the relationship between me. You get what I mean? Where it's like, all right, hey, I'm I'm putting this in your I'm putting this on your front porch. Hey, there's gonna be danger. They're talking about bringing weapons. They're talking about doing this. Oh, it's all right. They're just protecting the businesses. That's when the two dudes got shot. That's when um Kyle Rittenhouse had shot. The people, but I told him, I said, hey, you should just, if you putting everybody on curfew, that has to include them as well. Why are you only doing it to the youth that's out there just marching peacefully? They only saying they want justice. You get what I'm saying? And you protected the businesses. You're protecting buildings, not the people. So the people was enraged. And after the people got shot, more people came out. And then it just, it was so much pain, like you can you can hear it. I had 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds come outside and cry and say, it's your turn to finish what we started. And that's where it was like, okay, now I can't go back home. I gotta, I gotta keep going. And that was from the first week of when he first got shot. And I was introduced 
to uh, Justin Blake, Jacob Blake's uncle. And I had told him, I said, man, I got your back. So I would follow him all the way around. People was looking like, is he security? So Nah, he in my city. If I say I got your back, I'm not going to walk in front of you. I got your back. You get what I'm saying? So I'm making sure he's safe because I stay, I practice my, I practice my open carry law. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm making sure that don't nobody come out sideways and more people get shot. So I would take care of the perimeter. I would take care of the talking and the organizing with the police. So they would know our routes. You gotta, you gotta include them because then they can't say, well, Oh, we thought y'all was hostile. You knew we wouldn't hostile because I called you and told you the route. I told you we was coming to feed them kids on that block where them buildings was burnt. I told you what we were doing. So you can't say you didn't know, but the, it was just a lot of pain, a lot of pain, especially the first couple of weeks. It was a lot of pain and it was a lot of uncertainty of where this would go. Because people was like, well, why didn't he make a decision yet? Why is he on administrative leave? And it should never happen. Rules of engagement for soldiers should be the same as the, as the police. If I shoot somebody, you're you going to tell me I broke the Geneva Convention. Well, why, why it ain't the same for, uh, for officers when they're shooting us in the streets here? Why isn't there rules of engagement and why are you locking us up constantly, but you ain't you put them on administrative paid leave. Talk a little bit about, um, cause I know that, that your own life was in, 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 in danger. There was threats against you. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of death threats. The FBI actually, they attached a team to me. So when they would have death threats, I would actually get the phone call and they would need a rendezvous point, which I would always be like, all right, meet me in the boys and girls parking lot. I need someone with some light. You ain't fixed the, <laughs> I didn't see too much. <laughs> I didn't read too much. You ain't fixed to put me out there like that. But if I'm a go, I'm a go, but it's more or less like, all right. So I would have nobody follow me, but then they will follow. They will see that I was coming from across the street and they would let me know, Hey, don't go home tonight. You know, don't go home. It puts you at a, it made me really understand how Malcolm was feeling. You know, it really made me, it really made me really understand his, his, his noid, his, his paranoia. And then it made me more cautious of all of my surroundings where I started looking at windows more and, and rooftops more instead of just eye level. And the FBI was just letting me know what I had, you know, it was malicious. It was white supremacist. It was, you know, it was even some other people, you know, like, Hey, he's hurting the cause instead of helping the cause. And it was just like, nah, we need to properly plan like everybody else. I mean, proper preparation prevents poor performance. Everybody says a lot of stuff, but they're forgetting the basics. And it's like, we have to organize and, you know, really do it the right way. Otherwise, they just going to set us up. They wanted us to be like the people that stormed Capitol Hill. That's what they wanted. That way they could have locked us all up on a majority. Like, like oh, we're going to lock this whole mass body up and we good. That's why they struggling to even find people because everybody that burnt something down in Kenosha came from Illinois or came from somewhere else. You know what I mean? They didn't come from here. We ain't burning up our own stuff. We ain't really trying to tear down the city. We love Kenosha. It's just Kenosha don't love us. Mm. 
and that's just what it was. So the death threats was really, it, it, it messed up the home life, you know, it, it messed up a lot of stuff, but at the same time, sacrifices is sacrifices. And that's what, that's what this whole, that's what this whole thing takes. You reminded me of what uh, Doc Rivers said. He said, we keep loving a country that won't love us back. And uh, your words are very powerful in the sense that you love the origin of your birth, but um, the place of your birth does not uh, reciprocate that sort of love. So you're, you're waiting on the um, the news to come out on what's going to happen to this officer. And then the news comes out. What what was it like then? Anger. But it was like I wasn't surprised. You get what I'm saying? Like yeah. you you they had misquoted in the newspaper where it was like it, it kind of hurt, but you're not surprised because they've already told you. Like either way, you still a nigga. Like Jay-Z said, you get what I'm saying? Like that's just what it is, and that's how they look at you. But it's like, all right, well, so you're telling me he shoots somebody. Two of the officers are already back at work. They're already back on the job. This was his seventh offense. He was a bicycle cop, and that was his first week back in the car. And he shoots somebody, and you let him be on administrative leave. So not only did you traumatize them children from shooting that man in the car, and they got mental health issues, now he's paralyzed. Can't even come home because you already tried to try him. So you dangle a plea deal in front of him. And it ain't like he got great representation. So he made the choice that a lot of people make and take the plea. They set him up. It, it was it, it, it was sad, but at the same time, it just shows the difference. They stormed Capitol Hill. Look how they treated them. Black Lives Matter had a thing out there. Now, granted, I'm not Black Lives Matter. I'm African, everything. You get what I'm saying? I'm not a Marxist. I'm not with none of that. I'm about our people. You, When people try to change the narrative and they say Black Lives Matter, no, we're saying Black Lives Matter, too. Exactly. We're not part of the organization. We're just trying to say, hey, African lives in America matter. Start treating us right and stop shooting us. Absolutely. You're trying to put everybody in that group because you've already labeled that group. But you can't do that. You got to actually realize that these people here was marching because it was still African on African violence happening during these protests. It was still police officers beating. The week before Jacob Blake got shot, a police officer just shot a, a, a dude across the street from Lou Perini's on Sheridan Road. It was other shootings and beatdowns happening this whole time. It's just that when you pulled your phone out, now they now they rushing you. Before the before they even get to the nitty gritty, they making sure everybody with a phone is gone. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. My little cousin Portia, how they maced her in the face and paper pepper sprayed her, and you see her pouring milk down her face, and now she on Time magazine. She still is in poverty. The city of Kenosha keeps them in poverty, and if you really want to go somewhere, you got to move outside Kenosha, but stay close enough to Kenosha to matter. It, 
it wasn't surprising and nobody was surprised, but it showed us that we have to really organize and really write the documentation. We got to put pen to paper and really change these legislatures, change the laws. So has um, the, what has been the response of the police department, the mayor, the city council, have they uh, started to talk about some sort of, uh, uh, reform or community committees or what, 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 what has been the response on, on the half of law enforcement and local government? There's a, there's a lot of committees happening right now. Right. And I see the thing is that they didn't like is that the major news networks came out and when they came out, they talked. So we let it known. We let it be known. Like, why is there immunity? Why is there officer immunity? Why is there police immunity? I said, so if I shoot you, I get immunity? No, no, no. So if you if you hit my little girl and I shoot you, I don't get immunity? I said, oh, okay. I said, well, what, Mayor, what you going to do? I said, okay, you're incompetent. I'm taking your seat next election. Don't even run again. I let him know that because I'm running 2024. So I told him, don't, don't run again. So he came up with a Kenosha Action Roadmap to Inclusion and Equity and Equality. <laughs> board called community police relations right and i had told him i said if we don't have a community policed incident review board just don't run bro don't run because why are we the people if the police is supposed to protect and serve us why isn't there people in the community on the incident review board when the police break the law why is there representation from the community on these boards so what he did was he took pastors and went to the he went to the he went to he went to declared right <laughs> they always run to the churches because they're gonna save us. Now Reverend Peoples is a good pastor. He's a good reverend. He came in, you know, and since he's been here, he's been putting great work in. I didn't mention him earlier, but he's actually on the committee with me as well. But they got to start reaching out to the people that's really in these streets and really in these homes, really like Dr. Dominic Pritchett, who specializes. She's the only African-American woman here, mental health psychologist. Mm. And they, they block her. They block her. She's trying to get in there. They let her in the prison. They let her in the jail, but she won't she, let her inside the school, let her inside these homes, let her inside. You know what I mean? But they don't. They got a couple committees. They got that. They got Kenosha Unity Coalition. They got Coalition for Dismantling Racism. They got all this other stuff happening, right? And yet, no law has been changed. Nothing's been introduced. They just, they just tried to uh, sneak past a bill where they were about to spend four or five million. No, it was, uh, it was uh, 95000 It was 95000 my bad, the four or five millions for the cameras. They they tried to spend forty five thousand on cameras that scan your license plates as you drive past, mm. and they was gonna have you just well. We just seeing if the if the car was registered. You can do that by entering the, in the computer when you're following the person. You trying to scan for something else. Mm. Why are you using that money instead of help fixing them buildings that's burnt up? Mm. Why are you not putting that money toward the funds or donating it? to maybe the Blake family for them kids' mental health. Or maybe, you know, the neighborhood that they got shot, that he got shot in, it's such an, an ruined 
Bro, when I say mold, I did. I walked in the apartment building and did a whole segment where the whole building was mold, and ten of those apartments had bed bugs, and they never fixed it. Electrical outlets, everything, fire hazards, everything, and nobody does nothing because they have it here where this is a landlord city. There's more laws for the landlords than the actual tenants. So they, all these boards and committees, it's like a big resume reading. Half the meeting is introduce yourself. Well, I'm this and this and this and this. And then when you finally get done with the introductions, they'd be like, all right, well, we was going to do the agenda, but let's just do a moment of reflection and then do an overview. <laughs> Nothing was accomplished. It's smoke, smoke and mirrors, bro. That's all it is. It's smoke and mirrors. When they actually put something hard, actionable items, I'll definitely let you know. But right now, ain't nothing happening. You know, it's funny because um, when you talk about the poverty there, and, and you know, we I shared with you, I grew up in the 53206. And you know about the 06 in Milwaukee. and um, But what people say to me, man, like, I didn't know there were black people in Wisconsin. That's 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 the narrative they like to change. But Wisconsin is the number one state in the United States for the incarceration of African-American males. Number two is Minnesota. So Jacob Blake gets shot in Wisconsin after George Floyd get killed in Minnesota, the top two states. And it isn't coincidence because Indiana is around the corner from that. And they just opened the all white church where African-Americans not even allowed in the door. And they voted on it. You get what I'm saying? So it's like you really don't understand. Like the reason Kenosha Racing in Milwaukee had to join forces is because we're the, we're the majority of the African-Americans in Wisconsin. That's why we're the highly policed. That's why the 53206, that's why 5314442, that's why Racine, Kenosha, and Milwaukee got to unite because we are the pipeline to prison. That's right. And until we unite they going to put their knee on our neck every chance they get and they dangle that and then when you think you going you think you going organize they be like hey you want a job well you know you do this job you you can't you can't do this type of stuff right mm. you get what i'm saying so when i was working for the doc i worked for dwd the doc all of that each time conflict of interest DWD was the only people that was like, all right, you can do it on your own time, but you cannot represent the state of Wisconsin. And since then, I was let go. I was let go when we marched a day, two days before we marched from Kenosha to Milwaukee. And we walked all the way there. Mm. They had let me go. Mm. Mm. It's wow. just what it is. Man, I, man, you, you. <laughs> I understand um, because I'm from where you're from, and I know the challenges that you face and the pressure. You have out outlined the pressure in trying to make a living and still stand up for social justice. It's it's almost incompatible in Wisconsin, and so we have this we have this young man come across. Murder some people. Um, what do you have any confidence that he will be held accountable? 
I don't have confidence in the judicial system. As long as they're holding and he can throw his little signs and his his people took him to a bar in Racine. Mind you, he's from Illinois. But now he's back in Kenosha. He gets to Racine, get to go to a bar, and then an adult can hand a minor a drink, just like an adult can bring a minor across the state lines with a assault rifle, gun down two people, and he still get out. Just like the police officer still on administrative leave, like you already telling us and you letting us know what we are to you. We don't matter to you. No, I don't have no confidence in none of that with that, but I, I have confidence. I have confidence if he reached population. Mm. I guarantee I have confidence in the justice system inside them walls. Mm. If he get to that point, then yeah, justice should be served. But I don't wish no ill will on a little kid. I just think at the same time, it's a learned behavior. It's a learned pattern. He got he did something because he knew he'll get away with it. The police officer did something because he knew he'll get away with it. This because history shows, yeah, we're gonna let you get away with it. And that's just what it is. And like you said, like, think about it. The the, the sheriff, Sheriff Beth said it. He said, all of them just having babies. We need to lock them up in lock them up in warehouses. And then what happened? Amazon and Uline came, and now they all working in <laughs> warehouses. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I refuse to take the jobs. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm management position. I'm not getting in your warehouse. If I really wanted to do something to amass people, the warehouses is where it's at. I don't trust it. I don't trust it, man. And it's like you let a kid free when you got you got teenagers in Milwaukee. You got teenagers in Racine, teenagers, African-American teenagers in Kenosha getting locked up in Ryok and in Wales and everywhere else for little mistakes, for fights in school. And if you don't, you don't get the ticket, your parent get the ticket. So you telling me Rittenhouse just shot somebody and his mama ain't get no ticket? How'd that work? Equal opportunity ain't for us. Was it? it was um, Ad Two said it the best. He said, "You're an African American. You're African without the heritage, and American without the opportunity." Mm. Mm. And I just thought that was cold because I'm looking like, hold on, we got the opportunity. If we unite together, but we got so much trauma in ourselves where we we only want to trust each other because it's deep down embedded. Like too many people didn't stabbed you in the back. They didn't locked your pops up. You feel like your pops didn't abandon your mom or your mom then went to this and left you with your pops. It, it's so deeply rooted. We got to heal and we got to start making the necessary steps. And that's like I said, Milwaukee racing to Kenosha It's all is one. And if people ever think that there's not African-Americans in Wisconsin, come visit, come visit, visit on a good hot summer day and just walk. You know, um, I, 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 in the future, I want to have you and a couple leaders, uh, uh, one from Racine and also one from Milwaukee, because we need to, uh, highlight this conversation that you're talking about because that is 
a major part of the solution is combining those three highly populated black areas together to unite uh, for the goal of black liberation. I, I, I don't want to get off of here until you talk about peace in the streets, man, because I'm excited about that organization and what you're doing. So, so tell our, our listening audience what, what, you know, what was the vision behind that and, and what are you doing uh, in Kenosha right now? I mean, peace in the streets is basically, it's a conduit for social transformative and restorative justice. And the reason I we started Peace in the Streets was it was my cousin Tonio. We were sitting there at the house and, you know, renegade. Everybody was sitting there like, man, remember we used to play kickball outside? The kids don't even want to go outside no more, man. They just want to stay on the game. But there was just a shooting down the block. And it was just like, he, I was like, well, we got to do something. Tonio was like, well, let's just throw a barbecue. I said, man, remember kickball games? Let's just do a kickball game and do a barbecue. And then he was like, well, skip it. Let's do it. And it was on a Wednesday. So Sunday, we just threw it. And it was like 200 people came out, played kickball, ate, no drama, no nothing. And I was like, see, this is what peace in the streets look like. He was like, well, we got to keep it going. So every Sunday for like three months straight, we were just throwing them. And it got to like 500 people, all that. The thing was is that then we started getting to the legal issues because people, when they took down the Lincoln basketball courts, because a kid wouldn't pick up the trash the officer had saw. Police officer was like, hey, pick up that trash. He was like, that's not my trash. So he beat the tr- he beat him. Like, mm. beat the kids on the it's it's on footage. You can see the stuff online too. Lincoln Park basketball hoops, and you'll see them and all that. So what we did was I marched. I got a lawyer from Racine. I got me a, a, a lawyer. He was a Jewish lawyer from Racine, walked down to the police department with 90 people and got them released. Now, mind you, you teenagers and adults too, right? But they got released, and we ended up putting it up. So I was like, well, we all die to go lane to live forever, but to create something that will. And if we can create unity and peace within ourselves, within our communities, then we can finish the work that Malcolm and Martin and uh, Dick Gregory and Jim Brown and everybody else started. You know what I'm saying? So, But we got to have peace within our own before we can truly unite and before we truly – we can't – we can't say, hey, well, we're going to change this, and we ain't changing home at the same time. So I wanna, I'm trying to change our blocks, change our narrative, and then empower them and not only give them the opportunity and space where they can actually flourish. I want to start making it where I'm teaching, them, I'm teaching the kids agriculture. I'm getting the plaza so I can have a fresh market, right? I want to get a plaza so we can, on the left side of the plaza, right, like Nipsey Hussle's plaza, the left side is going to be an agricultural center where kids are going to learn how to plant fruits and vegetables and talk with black farmers and all that. And then next door to that is going to be a fresh market where the kids who grew that can sell their fruits and vegetables inside that market and give them job opportunities where we can do it that way. And then I'm going to have a job center next to it where we can empower our people and get them certified with credentials. I already have a person sign, um, willing to sign on with phlebotomy. I have a person to do welding, forklift, and where we can empower them as far as even computer programming. I got VF, uh, VFX, which is a graphic design who helped do the movie Godzilla versus King Kong. They're willing to, they're picking out five kids right now. They're going to start in March. 
And they're going to actually start teaching them how to do the graphics, how to actually do the special effects, how to create video games. I want to empower them that be in jobs that they thought that was never possible for them to have. And then next to that, we just going to have more certifications and actual licensing. So if people want to be a, a owner or want to, you know, bank black, then they know where the resources are. And I'm, it's, a, it's just a lot going through with the making. So I believe, you know, we all die to go lane to live forever, but to create something that will. And if we can create the narrative and control the narrative, then that's half the battle. Brother, you make me proud, man. I'm sitting up here smiling, listening to you uh, and all of the hard work you have done. Uh, even going back to the fact, man, I'm a military cat and I know the sacrifice that it takes. And you was in Iraq, man. And and I just, man, I, I you know, thinking about the origin of my birth and knowing that you and others are there um, making these things happen, standing in the gap, man, just. Man, on this Sunday morning, man, I could not be more proud than sitting here talking to you. We have a lot of folks that are listening um, from that are in Oklahoma. And, 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 and I don't think they realize that, you know, black problems are not just uh, Kenosha problems or Oklahoma City problems. We share, we share the struggle throughout the world, diaspora, right? And, um, if you could, if you could give some advice, man, to um, folks that are listening, not just um, but to black folks, but also to white folks that are listening, um, what advice would you give them? Keeping in mind that some of our white brothers and sisters are what they call woke now; uh, their their eyes are uh, slightly open. Um, what advice would you give? I would say if you woke, that's admitting you was asleep. And that's cool, right? So I would tell you to grab counterparts and realize there's a difference between discrimination, racism, and there's a bigger difference between systemic racism. You got to start breaking that down where, because a lot of people think racism is just this. You know, systemic racism is where you actually affecting the, the actual education, the wealth, the job, the opportunities all the way down and all the way to the prison line. I would say grab and find these grassroots programs and stop having the conversation start off with what's the budget when, and bring something to the table. If it ain't your time, bring money. If it ain't your money, bring resources. I would say instead of just talking and listening, reach out and help them because they really – just feel like they got to do it on their own. So sometimes they won't ask for it. You really got to go out there and put in the footwork with them and actually help them out with resources and, you know, knowledge because the greatest knowledge worth having is the knowledge worth sharing. And if you have the knowledge and you're not sharing it, then you're the fool. So I feel like you got to do that. And I would always tell you, reach one, teach one. You know, some friends out there that ain't woke, teach them because the stronger we grow in numbers, the more unity we have across the board, you know, from Caucasian, brown, black, everybody together, the stronger we'll be. And we need to unite all the way across the United States in order for this to happen. Because as, as you saw, the ex-president, his goal was to divide mm -hmm. and conquer. Mm -hmm. And it made us look weak as a country. If I was China or Russia, I would have planned to Dawn at that time. Mm -hmm. 
You get what I'm saying? So it was like we were so divided where we wouldn't stand and protect our own country. So it's more or less like I would say we need to unite because it's time now that we actually finish the civil rights movement. And it's bad that we still have to have a movement where people will be civil. The word civil is so deep where it's like, yo, you don't even want equal. You just want it to be civil. You get what I'm saying? Like we had equal rights, but it it ain't happened. Civil rights came and it's like, oh man, civil. We need to unite and actually bring the resources and start reaching these children and giving them the game because you can't pass and something can happen to you. So you need to give that knowledge to another person. Brother, there are so many. Uh, I I told you this hour was going to go by quick. (laughs) There are so many things, man, that um, that I want to talk to you about, man. I have to have you back on the show. Just you to come back on and uh, and sit down and have another conversation with us. Would you do that for me, brother? Definitely. Anytime. I, uh, you know, uh, folks, this is what I want you to recognize is that. We do have great leaders. People say, well, the black community, we ain't got no, 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 no. You looking at the wrong people. We have black leaders across this country, like Brother Gregory, that are doing things um, in locations that are making a difference, that are changing people's lives. We may not see the immediate results, but let me tell you something. All it takes sometimes is one person. One person can change uh, Dr. King, Malcolm X, Gandhi. I can go on, Mother Teresa. We can go on and on. One person can do it. And, um, you know, Kenosha is 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 not unlike um, Oklahoma City and other places where we are trying to, uh, for once, take our rightful seat. Our seat. The Constitution says our seat is there. We citizens. Are we not? And so we're trying to get in the seat, but those that are trying to prevent us from being in the seat. And what I'm going to do is just give my brother just um, a few minutes. If there's some parting words you want to leave us with, brother. I ran for aldermen, 6,100 people inside the district, only 171 voted total use your voting power not just for presidential elections use it for your city council use it for county boards use it for you know school districts use your voting power and grab the youth and just realize that we are all human and we are all under the same sun and we need to come to a compromise and find unity and peace and I'm praying for all y'all out there. Because history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, a scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time. And what will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, we became one? Or will she find that we solved nothing and remain a divided peoples? Yes, history will speak of us. We can make a difference if we try We can be the change that's in our lives 
All we gotta do is work together. We gotta raise our children better. We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate, and spread the love. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. Thank you for downloading the One Mic, One Voice show. Take a moment and subscribe and share. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or any other podcasting platform. Thank you for your continued support and for your voice. You can change the world. It's your choice. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the One Mic, One Voice show are not the views, thoughts, and opinions of our sponsors.